you were here last week, or if you weren't here last week, I'll tell you anyways. Or who was, I always ask that question, who's here? Anyways, who's not here that was here last week? Don't raise your hand. Um, we've, we looked at the, the chapter 1 of Exodus, now we're in chapter 2. And uh, this reading today left off with, um, if you caught that, with Moses in a new place and uh, away from his adopted family, if you will, his Egyptian family and folks that he grew up around, and as well as his biological family. And uh, hopefully you all are familiar with this story, uh, you know, if you're familiar with kind of the, the basic narrative of, of Moses in the beginning of this, uh, beginning of the, the slavery and so forth, and then this sort of piece where Moses has uh, finding himself as a stranger here, as he had to run away. And trying to put yourself in his place for a second there, you know, he, he very much felt out of place where he didn't belong. He said it there at the, end, uh, at the end of what Kim read, that he named his son Gershom, a uh, stranger there. And it's not that I feel like a stranger now. He said, I, I have been. I, I've been a stranger in others. He didn't really feel, feel like he, was, he belonged in Egypt necessarily, and now he certainly doesn't feel he even belongs here. He's just kind of in the middle there, you know. Just getting by, barely. In fact, in 2.21, uh, in Exodus 2.21, what Kim just read there, your translations might say it all kinds of different ways, but it says that Moses was uh, content to live with the man. Uh, you might also say, it might say Moses agreed to live with the man, or Moses was willing to live with the man. The word there that's used in the Hebrew is kind of this term of... Um, it is a term of agreement or, or making a new start in a sense, but it has a, has a sense to it of that it's kind of a concession. You know, it's a very humble term. It's not like, yeah, I'm going to get a new start and make a new start. It's sort of like, okay, you know, just he was content to be in the position that he was and to, to start this life with this person. It reminded me of, um, <clears throat> you know, I've spent some time in India, India lately and in the past, and the place where I go is a really big city, like third largest city in the world, New Delhi, and it's, um, to put it politely, it's chaotic. I mean, it's very chaotic, and it's not necessarily easy to get the most basic of things done there, and there's a prevailing attitude that my wife's told me about, just call, you just sort of adjust to things, you know? You got a crack in your windshield, let's say, and it's a little bit, you know, you can go get it repaired, but it's going to be tough, and it, so you just, you know... You sort of look this way or that way. You just sort of adjust to the situation, you know. Um, maybe the tailor makes your, your suit jacket one sleeve a little shorter or longer than the other, and uh, you go back to him, just, you know, just adjust. You know, just, just walk this way, you know. That's all you need to do. Just adjust to it, right? Just kind of, it's not ideal. It's not what you want, but you just adjust, you know. And that's kind of where Moses finds himself in this part of the story. And it's, it's just as importantly to note is that that's where God finds him as well. This is where God finds Moses. And not only does God find Moses there, but that's exactly where he wants him. That's exactly where he knows he is. It's exactly from where uh, God plans to use him. And so really the, the, what I'm going to be speaking about today is more a bigger context of Exodus, not just uh, verses uh, in chapter 2, uh, verses 11 to 22, but kind of the larger context that goes through about the middle of chapter 4 encompasses, uh, you'll recognize some of the pieces that I talk about here. We may look at them as well in the text, so keep yourself there in, in Exodus 2. 
But that's where Moses is right now, exactly in this place of kind of adjust, you know, just kind of going with whatever is coming his way, not what he wants, not ideal, not sure what he's going to do. And that's where God picks him up from. And I want to stop just for a moment there and have you realize that this is, this is the same with both you and me. You know, regardless of where you find yourself right now, regardless of where you've, where you've been, regardless of where maybe you thought you would or should be at this point in your life or where you planned you would be maybe, um, the reality is, is the same, is that God has not forgotten you either. Um, God knows exactly where you are, and he can, he will, and he does use you from exactly that point. So picking up from where our, the reading did leave off <coughs> today, if you want to kind of flip over there, Exodus 2, we won't go through each and every verse, but we see that now after Moses has this, he's sort of in this, this, this place of, uh, of just sort of dealing with what's come his way, the text says that um, in many days, basically, after a long time of Moses' life of adjust, the text tells us that God started on his plan of bringing the people out of Israel. I'm sorry, the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so, so there's Moses. He's living his life in, this, in Midian, which uh, it's probably a couple hundred miles at least you know, that, he, that he traveled. Pretty good distance. So as far as he's concerned, he's, he's, he's gone. Um, so there he is living in Midian, thinking that this is kind of a new chapter for him. Um, the past was the past. And when he comes across one of the greatest theophanies, uh, arguably, in the entire Bible, which is the burning, the burning bush. And if you want to have fun, read all kinds of, you know, uh, scholarly writing about this, you know, that people want to explain, explain this away through natural phenomena. They want to say, well, this is this particular, you know, um, uh, brand of bush that has these oils, and this is how it burned and why it didn't wasn't consumed, or it was a, a optical illusion because it it had these reflective leaves and it looked like it was burning and all this kind of stuff. And I've heard there's tours of Israel uh, where they can take you and show the ashes of this bush. Like, Wait a minute, I thought it didn't, you know, burn. <laughs> but uh, so there we are. This this is one of the greatest theophanies, and the big thing I don't want us to miss. Don't want to get lost in the in the bush, so to speak. But um, what was the message that God had to deliver to Moses there through this theophany? We see it here in, in chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. I'll read a little bit for you. You can, flip, can look there if you'd like. Chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Uh, the Lord says, I have seen and heard my people's cries, and I have come down to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And then he tells Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you can bring, be my agent to bring them out. And what was Moses' reply? In 3.11, he says, first thing he says, uh, there's actually about five. We'll look at a couple of the replies. I may summarize them at one point. He gives about five different replies, and they're kind of fun to kind of look at them that way. What, was the, what did Moses say? What did God say? What did Moses say? What did God say? What did Moses say? And it's kind of funny. The first thing he says here, though, Moses says, who am I? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Egypt out? And this, I think, is kind of the part of the story that's, that's often highlighted. The fact that, you know, Moses is such an unlikely, you know, character here, you know. And because of that, we can look at that as an inspiration about, you know, somebody who is very unlikely to be used. And look what God did through him. He was a stutterer, right? He was a stammerer. He had a, a speech impediment. That's what I was always told. He wasn't qualified. He, he couldn't even talk, right? Well, you know, I was reading that this week, and I came up with a, a question that I want to ask you. 
Is that true? Was he? Was he this stutterer, stammerer, couldn't speak, wasn't qualified? Is, is that true? Where do we get that from? Well, Moses himself actually says in this passage, he says, you know, I'm not a man of words. I have a, uh, it's translated differently, but he says, I have a heavy tongue or a, a sluggish mouth. Um, but personally, I don't buy any of that. In fact, it's really only here that this is ever brought up. You know, if you look elsewhere in, in the Tanakh, at least, we don't see where Moses was a stutterer or a stammerer, nothing like that. In fact, it's only Moses' sort of self-characterization of himself that, that we read it right here. Um, if you flip over to the book of Acts in chapter 7, verse 22, this is where Stephen is, is kind of recounting the history of Israel and so forth uh, in front of his accusers, but before they, they take him out um, with stones, he, said, he gives a, a, paints a very different picture. In Acts 7, verse 22, it says this. It says, So Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And it says he was powerful in words or powerful in his speaking and his works or his, his deeds. And then it goes on to talk about what happened after Moses left Egypt. So in other words, this, was, this, is, this is Stephen's characterization of Moses prior to the, the incident we just read about. We see that Moses was trained in all the wisdom, the best, you know, uh, Egyptian, Egypt had to offer. And he was, it says he had power in, in speaking and in deed. So I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, that, that what we, the kind of typical picture we get of Moses being this, this stutterer and, you know, couldn't say anything. Um, so when it comes to Moses' question in Exodus 3.11, you know, who am I? Who am I that, you, that, you should, uh, that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children out of Egypt? Personally, I think uh, if you were to stop for a minute, you could rattle off all kinds of reasons why Moses was, in fact, the man for the job, the fact of his, his education. He was raised in the Egyptian culture, but he also was a Hebrew, and, and he had that, that piece as well. Um, who better for the job, you know? And the truth is, I think, you know, do you, do you think God didn't know all that also? Do you think God didn't know his background and know that he was qualified? Of course he did. But more than that, um, I think you'll, you'll, we see that, that, that God knew Moses' heart as well which is an important part of this equation. Because it's interesting, when you read, um, you know, right before God says, I'm going to send you, the inform- all that other information that God gives Moses about the people's cries, the people's sorrows, their heartache, and how they've groaned, and I've heard them, that's really not necessary, is it? He didn't have to tell Moses all that stuff, did he? Because it really wasn't important, or wasn't really part of, it wasn't germane to the facts that God was going to deliver them, was it? In fact, if you, if you look at Genesis 15, uh, in Genesis 15, this is when Abraham, the, 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 the covenant is renewed with Abraham, and God actually cuts those pieces of animals, walks down in between them, and then recounts to Abraham what he's going to do, how he's going to bless them, and so forth. He also gives kind of a picture of the Egypt experience at that time as well. If you, don't, if you remember, he says, you know, the pe- your, the, my people are going to be enslaved uh, for 400 years, and he says, I'm going to bring them out with a mighty... He, kinda, he goes through the whole thing, and he says at the beginning of that, he says... Know this for sure. I had a Hebrew teacher in seminary. I think she's somewhere. But there's a, one of these special verbal constructions that he says, know this for sure. This is going to happen. So this is, this is back in Gen. This is going to happen. Okay? So why does God share all that other stuff about this is why it's happening? Let me explain to you why it's happening and all and so forth. And they groan to me. And so he could have said, look, I'm coming down. Let me just, you're going to be the guy and we're going to do this. But why did God tell him all that? Uh, I think he told him all that because at his core, Moses did care, regardless of what Moses was saying. He did care, and he could have responded initially to God not by saying, who am I? He could have said, 
So? So what? What is that? So they're crying, so they're hurting, whatever. What does that have to do with me? You know, I'm just in my life of adjusting here in, in Midian, right? Um, but Moses did have a sense of, of justice. We saw that in what was read today. He stood up for the, the, the Hebrew against the Egyptian that was beating him. He got involved with the situation uh, between the two Hebrews. And also, you may, have, may not have caught it exactly, but when, uh, when he goes and, and, and helps out uh, the daughters there, the daughters of the Midian priests of Reuel, a.k.a. Jethro, um, he, uh, a.k.a., what's his alter ego, yeah. Um, same guy, Jethro, by the way, don't be confused. When he goes there, he stood up, stood up for them. And in fact, um, in the text there, the Hebrew word that it says Moses, you know, it says Moses stood up for them, helped them. Actually, is the word where we get, uh, it's, it's the Hebrew word Yasha from Yeshua. He was actually salvation to them, to them. So he had this sense of justice. Um, this is where we get the word Yeshua from. Um, that's what Moses was. And when he asks the question in 311, who am I that, you know, that I should go? Instead of God rattling off all of these reasons you know, here's, let, me, let me tell you why it should be you. What does he say? What does God say? Right? He says, look, it, he said, I'm not going to bother telling you why I know it's you that should go. He said, I'll be with you. In other words, where Moses, three times in, in, in verse 11, he says, I, 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 right? Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out? God says, no, I'm not going to bother telling you why and how qualified you are, which on the one hand you are, but he says, you're suited for this. No, what you need to know is that I will be with you and that I have sent you. That's his focus there in this first response to Moses. And I think this is, this is certainly something for us to, to, to apply from this text. Because I'm sure that many of us um, often see things that need to get done. We might even see things around us that we feel compelled to get involved with, feel compelled to, to getting done but sometimes I think we also stop and think, eh, who am I? Who am I to do this? In fact, we, we play out the, the scenario in our mind. If I get involved, here's some roadblocks I might run into down the road, things I know I won't be able to, 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 to circumvent and so forth. We fast forward through the scenario and we say, you know, we kind of just conclude with, you know what? Who am I, right? So instead of trusting that maybe we don't see the entire picture like God does, we simply say, forget it. I, I can see where I'm going to run into some, some challenge here. So who am I to think that I could do that anyways? And I think what we need to do is we need to shift our thinking in a way in which we can understand that if God's speaking to us or if, we are, if we're seeing something, if you're seeing something that you feel you need to be involved with, then maybe, just maybe, it goes beyond your perceived abilities to, to get the job done and to follow, you know, to, to get every single iteration of what's going to happen done. Maybe just there's something beyond your finite abilities and that God himself, just like in this situation, is going to be involved. So it's not about who you are. But Moses, you know, it sounds all great and positive. Moses obviously very clearly is not in that mindset yet because you see his next question. So he says, who am I? God says, look, I'm going to send you. Um, Moses says, great, you're going to send me. Uh, who are you? You know, that's his next question, basically. Great, you're going to send me, first, who am I? You're going to send me, who are you? And that's where we get the infamous, uh, you know, I am who I am. You, all, people have tried to translate this in all kinds of special ways. I, I am who I am. I was whatever. I will be who I will be. I mean, this idea, this, we could talk all about that, that great, you know, the way that God identifies himself there. But quite honestly, it's not really, again, I think, 
important with this particular conversation. God says he is. He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need anybody. And from Moses' next question, I think we really see the point anyways. It wasn't that Moses was wondering, you know, who am I? Who are you? If I just knew who you were, I would do it. I think we see from Moses' next question, uh, we see what really motivates his, his reluctance to begin with. And his next question is basically, well, but suppose they don't believe me. In other words, worried about what other people are going to think about him. You know, because you think about it, he felt very rejected, again, by his, his, his biological and his adopted family. And this isn't quite a true statement, I think, and a confidence killer for everybody. But that whole thing of what will people think about me? Um, again, I won't speak for anyone, everyone here, but I would imagine that no matter how thick-skinned you are, no matter how much you, you consider yourself, like, I don't care, you know, about... Uh, about what people think about me. I, think that, I don't think that anybody really enjoys, uh, invites, or looks forward to criticism, okay? I mean, there might be a few people that really thrive on that, a few of you folks from the upper part of the East Coast, you know, maybe, <laughs> or from, or from the, the, the Holy Land, perhaps, uh, you know. But in general, I think even, you know, no one really likes to be criticized or, or, or invites that kind of thing on themselves. And that was really what was motivating uh, Moses's questions here, these first couple questions. I think his whole, the whole thing, really. And I don't really have a quick or easy, easy solution for that, but I will say that if your every move and your every decision is preempted or predicated on wondering what people are going to think about you, um, then I don't think you're going to get very far in life at all. You're not going to get used very, very much if you're always worried and concerned about what other people think. And then um, Moses gives the, the big dodge question that I think gets a lot of press usually, and that's, well, I can't talk. I got the heavy tongue and so forth. Um, but really at his core, I believe, it wasn't a speech impediment. I think he was thinking, you know, people can say this a lot better than me. I'm not, a, I'm not much of a politician. Um, and I think so there's got to be somebody else who can say that a lot better to me, better than me. And again, I don't think that's very much a very foreign concept for us either, assuming that, you know, someone else can always... What am I? Why should I do this? What are people going to think of me? Besides, there's got to be somebody who can do this better than me, right? I think that I think that that part we can all all relate to. And how does God answer? How does God answer? You look at chapter four, verses eleven through twelve. Because I think this is something that we can all grasp. So Moses again, he says, "Who am I? Who are you? What if they don't believe me? Someone else probably can do this better than me." And God says, "Oh, really?" He says, who gives speech to mortals anyways? Who's created their mouths? Who makes, you know, the deaf people hear or the blind people see? He says, is it not I, the Lord? In other words, my paraphrase of that uh, is, it's not about you. It's about me. And we, we hear that a lot. That's a, I think that's a recurring theme in Scripture, you know, that it's not about you. It's about me. And that Moses, his whole thing wa- was that. And liter- literally here, God's, after, after these four things, God says, in this order, he says, go, and I will be with your mouth. I will, uh, I'll teach you what to say. That word teach there, actually, interestingly enough, is, is uh, the root word where we get Torah from. So in a sense, God is saying, uh, you know, you go, and I'm going to Torah, Torah you what to say. Um, getting a nod from the Old Testament professor. Is that correct? Okay, yes. <laughs> Thumbs up. So I think what we really see from all this interchange in this dialogue uh, between Moses and God is that Moses was, and this is the piece I think we I really want you, want us to grasp here, that Moses was very self-conscious. 
Okay, what's the other, the opposite of that is being God conscious. So Moses was very self-conscious and not God conscious. And that's what God is trying to do through his answers. He didn't try to say, well, let me, oh, you feel bad about yourself? Well, let me tell you why you're so great and how you are qualified, you know. He didn't spend, spend his time doing that. Because we, we can get caught up in that. We can get caught up in that when we're encouraging other people as well. well. I don't think I can do this. Oh, man, you're great. You're such a good whatever, and you have all these skills. Of course you can do it. That's not what God spent his time doing. He spent his time getting Moses from being self-conscious to being God-conscious. God was trying to get Moses to take his eyes off himself, to take his eyes off his own perceived limitations, his perceived fears, and he wanted him to just go. He says it first. And I think that's good for us, too, to realize that sometimes God just does want us to go first. Uh-huh. To go first before we've got everything figured out, before we have all the assets in place. I think even, Judy, you mentioned, I thought about this when you said after Bible study, you know, on the streets there with j for j and so forth, and you want to have all your ducks in a row and have everything prepared to say to somebody. And the truth is, if you get it, you know, you're going to rely on that confidence, whether it's confidence in your study or the thing, your, your comebacks, or whether it's confidence in saying, you know, I've got everything set aside, the, the money, the assets, whatever it is, everything lined up, then I can go. Well, God says, no. He says, go. There are times you need to go, and I'll be with you first, and I will Torah you. I will instruct you. I will teach you uh, along the way as to what to say and do. Let me temper that just a little bit, though, because I do, want, I do want to say that being reluctant or being somewhat hesitant is not all bad, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not, in other words, I'm not advocating that, you know, we, we jump in headfirst with everything or that we are foolish, um, that we don't consider any of the facts or whatever or be ill-prepared, but look to make sure that you, where your reluctance, that your reluctance is not based solely on you're looking at your circumstances or you're looking at the assets that you have or your abilities is that you, you, any reluctance on your part would be based on your attempt to hear from God. That should be coupled. The two things need to be tied together, if you understand what I'm saying. So reluctance is okay as long as it's tempered with that understanding that I want to see where God is in this as opposed to I'm reluctant because I don't think I can do it or I'm reluctant because I don't see everything laid out in front of me uh, the, you know, in such a way that I think you know, it'll all come together. I was thinking about this, this example kind of like with, with Yeshua Tzion right now and our, our, our hesitancy, if you will. I say hesitancy to, to purchase a building or to, to jump out of this basement or do whatever. Um, our hesitancy, on the one hand, it, it's coupled with we, we can't just, we don't, we don't have the, the money at this point to just go and, and purchase a building or buy land and build exactly what we want. On the other hand, okay, we're reluctant. On the other hand, though, we believe we've heard from God. Just because we don't have all the resources, just because we don't have all the, the actual funds in place um, and all the people in place, we are moving forward with the endeavor because we believe it is what God is telling us to do. So that's, that's sort of the, uh, this, this picture of, of reluctance, yet confidence, you know, not self consciousness but god consciousness and that's confidence that's the type of confidence that comes from um, a spiritual position a spiritual position and not a physical one because for moses at the end of the day in his case i believe actually he had the physical and the mental capabilities to do what god was calling him to do i really do but what he lacked i think at this point in the story is that spiritual confidence that ability to walk in the authority that god uh that God had given him already and that God had already laid out for him prior in, 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 in the covenant renewal in Genesis. Because after, you know, all of 
Moses' ex- Moses's excuses, right? The who am I, who are you, what if they don't believe me, I'm not a good talker. And then finally he just says, the, the last one's kind of funny if you're not familiar with it. After all those, he says, man, just, can you just send someone else? You know, he just, he's after, he's kind of run out. After all of these, Moses does still go, right? And you'd think that after all of that, after seeing, you know, having this experience, this theophany, this viewing of God in the wilderness, this, you know, and then he gave him what, what I call all the magic tricks, you know, the, 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 the rod that turns into the serpent, the hand that changes, you know, and the pouring the water, turning it into blood. I mean, I'd be pretty impressed. I, could, I have a friend who's in Orlando. He's a professional m- magician. He used to do stuff right across from me at the table. And I, I know those are tricks. I mean, these weren't just tricks. This was really God doing some miracles right in front of him. You'd think Moses would be like all gangbusters to go out and get the job done, right? But it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Look, look, uh, look at verse uh, 18 of chapter 4. This is after Moses is out of all the excuses. This is after God, you know, again, he spent this time with God. I don't know how long this conversation lasted. This is after he saw all the, the magic tricks, if you will. <laughs> and God said, now get going. So what did Moses do? So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, I need to go rescue my people from Egypt, right? Now, what does it say? Um, I, please let me... Yeah, let me go to Egypt and see if my people are still living. I need to go see if they're still uh, alive, you know. W- was that the purpose that God called him to, to go to Egypt? I find that kind of, kind of funny. Like, after all this, Moses just lies. <laughs> he basically lies. He was ashamed to say what he was really going to do. You know, I think that if he had really believed, it might have been a little bit different. Um, if he had believed that his life was still not simply just this concession that he had not kind of just been put out to pasture in Midian, that I think he would have talked to Jethro with a little more enthusiasm, a little more belief in what he was doing. But he was, uh, I mean, to put it bluntly, he was embarrassed. I think he was still like, you know, a little embarrassed and uh, pessimistic, if you will. And I don't know if you can relate to any of that any time. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know, been embarrassed about something you're doing and someone says, where are you going today? Oh, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go to the gym or something. And who knows what you're doing? You're, you know, you're going to learn how to, you know, um, weave baskets or something because you really like it, but you're not too proud of it. You're not so sure anybody would, what are they going to think of me and so forth. Moses was still kind of in that mindset, you know. Um, but maybe you've been, maybe you've been uh, in ministry, for example, in the, in the past. Maybe you've even seen some great, uh, when I say been in ministry, I mean like been involved in another community and, and been involved with some, some, some work there, mission work, whatever it might be, even work within your local, just within your, the body of believers you were with, and you've seen some really good fruit. Maybe you've seen miracles take place. I don't know. Maybe you've had some really good experiences with God. But at this point in your life, you know, that, that, was, that was kind of back in Egypt. You know, that was old, old times. And maybe at this point in your life, you feel a little bit used up. You know, been there, done that. Maybe you feel a little beaten up about it. Maybe you feel like you are the proverbial uh, leftovers. Um, maybe you've decided that that was, you know what, I'm done with that kind of intense work in my life. That was a season. I'm into a new chapter when really it's just sort of I'm in Midian and I'm adjusting, you know, and sort of putting up with, with what's, what's going on. But you've sort of in your mind been there and done that and say no more, you know. Maybe you've failed. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've burned out. I don't know what it is. You feel like, but it, it, the big picture is you feel like you started well, but then you ran into issues uh, or, you, you know, you, you realize if every time you're going to get started again, there's those same issues in your past that are in your mind. I know I'm going to run into that again. So, you know what, I'm just going to chill here in Midian. And you've been there for a while, been there for a long time. 
Maybe you're embarrassed or scared to speak to anybody else about things that you, you think you should be doing, you know? Some kind of vision that you, you've got. Uh, um, I don't know what it is. And, and I don't know what the motivation for it is. If it's, if it's motivation of, of the past, maybe it's motivation of doubt, fear. I don't know what it is. But just like you're seeing here in the life of Moses today, and if you go back you know, and read the story, I think you'll see <coughs> that you're not done. You really aren't done yet. In fact, you never started when you think about it. In other words, your, your ministry experience, whatever that, that is, whatever mission that you were on for the kingdom before and never got, you know, uh, whatever happened, the truth is it really wasn't about you to begin with. Remember that, right? It wasn't about you to begin with, as God says to Moses. Just like Moses, whatever happened, whatever happened in your past was part of the plan, okay? It didn't, it didn't, change, it didn't change anything about the plan, just the same way uh, when we read in Genesis 15 about you shall surely know this, That meant you shall surely know this, Moses. This is going to happen regardless of whether or not you kill the Egyptian, regardless of whether or not you're in Egypt, whether or not you're in Midian, whatever. You know this in the same way, just like God called, uh, made that call way back in the day. And just like God called Moses out of Midian in order to work his plan, I believe God's wanting each and every one of us here today to be drawn out of our own Midian. Whatever that is, wherever that may be, draw you out of there into a, an active re-engagement uh, and work for the Lord in, the, whatever that, in whatever capacity that might be for you. Regardless of the failures, regardless of the, the seemingly, you know, maybe false starts in the past or the dead ends you've experienced or the dead ends you think you're going to ex- hit again, aside from all that, I believe God has equipped each person here with some uh, irrevocable, gifts and callings, things that just because you had at one time, you know, you had the, the, the palace like Moses and you had all the, the freedom to go out and sort of stroll around town like he did, regardless, it doesn't matter what all that was. Um, those things God doesn't take away and those things are just waiting to be exercised again. So there are two sides to this, to this picture. There is God's ability and then there's our inability, okay? And both need to be understood, because quite often we get in this one side of, well, I'm, I'm just a miserable wretch. I can't do anything apart from God. Well, yes and no. You know, we need to understand, you need to understand your inability in a way that leads you into a deeper relationship and reliance on God's ability. Okay, it's not a matter of saying, I, I can't do anything. No, God's given you gifts. He's done things with you in the past, and he's given you everything. And because you recognize he's given you everything, you, under, you have a proper balance of your understanding of your inability and God's ability. Because you, you see this later on in Moses' life. I mean, this, the story starts off this way, and, you know, Moses is, is going to be in the background, and Aaron, his brother, is going to be the one in the front, and he's going to be the one talking and so forth. But as you read this, as the story goes along, all of a sudden you realize that's really not the way it plays out, right? Moses slowly and surely becomes, you know, comes into the front, the front of the pack, and he really uh, walks boldly, and, but he, he understands even more that his success has to do uh, with God's ability working through him, and it's not based on him. So an understanding of our inability and God's ability. Again, we don't throw away our, our, our abilities because Moses did have them. And God was using him, I say despite those, but it was all part of, the, part of the plan. So our text today began or begins with Moses just living this life of concession. This life of adjust, you know, walking with one arm like this or whatever, you know, looking out the windshield like that. Just whatever threw at him, right? Starts off that way. Down in Midian. Assuming that his, you know, this was it, and I'm just going to adjust to my life here. My glory days are gone. 
and I'm, just, I'm here just consenting to live this life. But God had other plans, didn't he? And God has other plans for each one of you here today as well. He's calling each one of you out of your own Midian, your own life of concession, back into a life of engagement with his, his plans, Amen. engagement in the work of the kingdom and through the gifts and the calling that he has given to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us that, that you follow through on your plans regardless of, of what we do or what we possess. That either way, that, that nothing's going to stand in the face of your plans. And you know exactly where we are. You know exactly where we've been. And we know that you're poised. We just thank you that you're poised to, to expand your kingdom regardless. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here today that may be uh, wallowing or just hanging out, just chilling in Midian, Lord, I pray that, uh, that they would not just simply concede to their circumstances in life, but that you would enable them to see today that your ability is greater than their inability and their past failures. And I pray that each person here today, Lord, would understand and realize that you are truly all they need in order to move forward in order to take that first step, Lord, and to go, to go on that, uh, that first step of that journey from, from Midian. So these things we ask in Yeshua's name and pray. Amen.